Well, we are so glad that you're here, and we're so thankful that you've chosen to be with us today. Today we are continuing our Christmas sermon series called And Then He Came. And Pastor said that this is his time to be with us out here. He comes about once a month. And so this time that he came, uh, I don't know if he was just hurting for material or if he was just feeling bad for me. or But he asked me to, to be a part of, of today's message. And so I appreciate that. I love to, when we get well, the opportunity. The truth is we celebrated our granddaughter's <laughs> first year birthday yesterday. Right. And I am plain flat worn out, to be honest <laughs> with you. It's a big That's birthday party. Big That's birthday a big birthday party. party. Well, so today we're going to talk about Emmanuel. We've talked about that a little bit throughout today. Uh, we talked about that. The first song that we sang said, Jesus, God with us, which is what Emmanuel means. God with us. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And then we, we, we prayed about that. We've sung about that throughout our time of worship. But it is one of the great hopes of one of the great assurances of the Christian faith. And it comes to us out of the Christmas story. And so as we continue this Christmas series where we're going to be looking at the Christmas story through the Old Testament passages and looking at how those connect to the New Testament passages that we may be a little more familiar with. Today, we're going to look at this passage out of Isaiah chapter 7 to look at Emmanuel, God with us. But to get to Isaiah 7, we, we can kind of start in one of the more common Christmas stories of the New Testament. It's Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we see that the Christmas story begins with this very abrupt understanding for us that Mary is pregnant, though she is not yet married to her fiancé, Joseph. Now, if you can, for a moment, you've heard the story, you know the story, you've celebrated the story, you've seen a hundred Christmas shows about it, movies, secular movies, Christian movies, you've seen all the things. But imagine, if you would, that you are a 14, 15, 16-year-old girl, all right? If you're a guy in the room, that may be a little difficult, <laughs> all right? But you're, you're engaged to be married, and then you find out that you're going, you're pregnant, but you know you're still a virgin. And then you find out that this baby is conceived by the Holy Spirit, it comes from God, and then you tell your fiance. Now, guys in the room, imagine that you are engaged to this young woman. You know that you're still a virgin. You, the, the scripture in Matthew chapter 1 says that you're faithful to the law. And she comes and says, hey, listen, I am pregnant. <laughs> but don't worry, it's the Holy Spirit's baby. <laughs> that, that's... I'm, I'm sure I'm less sanctified than most people in the room, but I'm like, yeah, right, right, sure. And so this is the context of this story. And so if I'm still playing the role of Joseph, I'm trying to figure out how to respond. I'm trying to figure out as, as one that's faithful to the law, what my response would be, what the law says that I'm supposed to do for my fiance, what, what, what my response would be. I'm going to face all kinds of social and cultural, uh, you know, condemnation and, 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 talking, back talking, backbiting. And so I'm going to face all this. There's religious implications. There's a lot of things going on here. And so we find out in Matthew chapter one, verse 19, that Joseph, because he's faithful to the law, has decided that he's going to divorce Mary, but he doesn't want to cause her any public disgrace or public shame, which again, tells us a lot about Joseph and his character. He doesn't want to cause her public shame or disgrace beyond what she's going to face being an unwed pregnant girl in that culture. And so he decides that he's going to quietly divorce her. And then we come to the text in Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse 20. And this is the, the first part of the text that we want to look at today. And this is what it says in Matthew one, verse 20. It says before he had considered this, but after he had considered this, an angel, of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy spirit. 
She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, there's a couple things real quick before pastor helps us get to the Isaiah text. Verses 20 through 23 are, are the dream and the things that were happening to Joseph. Okay, so we see that he, he falls asleep. He has decided that he's going to quietly divorce his fiance, break up the relationship, but he doesn't want to cause her public shame. So he's going to do that quietly. And then he falls asleep and he has a dream. And in the dream, the angel comes to him and says the things that we saw there. Hey, what you've heard from Mary is true. That it is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so he hears these things. And then verses 24, uh, 23, 24 and 25 are then uh, the writer, Matthew, telling us about another text telling us about another passage of Scripture, which pastor is going to get us into, in Isaiah chapter 7, which is important for us to understand so we know the full context. We'll come back to Joseph in a minute, but pastor is going to talk to us about Isaiah. Yes, over 700 years prior to the Emmanuel message being fulfilled in this Joseph story that we just saw, Isaiah the prophet prophesied this about Emmanuel, God with us, to King Ahaz. Ahaz was the king of Judah at that time. Now, at that time, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. Ahaz was the king over, the Ju- over Judah, and he was a wicked king. It says that he did not do what was right in the eyes of God. He led the people into idol worship. He led them into sacrifices to false gods. He even got them into human sacrifices, and God was not pleased with that. And Ahaz would not repent, so God, to discipline him and the people, allowed them to be invaded by the king of Israel from the north who had aligned himself and made an alliance with the king of Aram. And when they invaded, they soundly uh, defeated Ahaz and, and the people. They killed hundreds of thousands of soldiers. They took many into captivity. But God allowed King Ahaz and the people to remain. And then uh, the king of Israel and Aram made a second run at Ahaz and he held them off. And now they were rallying to make a third run at him. And the people were very, very frightened. In fact, it says they were shaking like the trees shake in the wind. And Ahaz didn't know what to do. He, he, he thought he was going to lose the kingdom. He thought he was going to lose his life. He was, he was at wit's end. And God sent the prophet Isaiah to him to assure him of his presence with him, even in his wickedness. And that's where we get this prophecy of Isaiah 7, verse 14, that we just saw in the Matthew text that says this, therefore the Lord himself, and this is the prophet Isaiah speaking to Ahaz about This baby, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child with give birth to a son. We'll call him Emmanuel, which we learn from the Joseph story that Emmanuel means God with us. And this is the message he gave to Ahaz. This is the message he gave to Joseph. It's the message he gives to us today, right here in this place at this time. And what we will look at very quickly is a comparison and contrast to how Ahaz and Joseph responded to this so that we can see how to respond to this message. Pastor Jeremy is going to do that for us. A couple things you have to know about the Christmas story. Just about every time that some heavenly agent, God, an angel, somebody speaks to some person on earth, they open with some variation of this line. Don't freak out right now. Okay. (laughs) 
That's what they start with. They start with, and I'll clean it up a little bit. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Thou shalt not fear. Don't be worried about what I'm about to tell you or the fact that I'm a glowing angel in the air, right? Because sometimes when we read this story, I referenced it a minute ago, we've heard this story, we know this story. I mean, this, we're so comfortable with this that we miss, we lose the emotional dynamics that are involved. We lose the awe and kind of the, the awestruckness. I don't think that's a word, but I'm going to make it up. If it's not, that's my new $2 word, awestruckness. That these characters should have felt or probably did feel when the angel shows up or when Joseph has a dream and he he's in this dream and he 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 hears this angel speaking to him, confirming the things that he's just been told by his fiance. And so there's all this stuff going on. And and so the first thing that we have to understand about both Ahaz hearing from Isaiah, hearing from God through the prophet Isaiah and Joseph hearing from God through the angel in his dream is that they are both told, don't be afraid. Now, why is that important? It's important to them the same reason it's important to you and me because we don't know what our future holds. We don't know what the next steps are. We don't know what's about to happen, right? We, we just have our present context and our past to, to reference as we get ready to take some next steps. And so when these words are coming to these, these individuals and just about every other time that it's ever referenced in scripture, there's a lot of other places. When, when, when Joshua is leading, he's about to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. God gives him this assurance three times in Joshua chapter one. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going with you, right? Because Joshua doesn't really know, even though he, he kind of understands he's been there as a spy. He's heard about it. He knows the promises of God. God says, listen, you've never been this way before, and I'm going to go. You follow behind me. And so for you and I, as we get into our life story, as we try to discern the voice of God, listen for the voice of God and take these next steps, I believe that the parallel we see right here of both are told, don't be afraid. That's a really great truth. It's a really great reality that God, when he speaks to us, would help us to know that we don't have to be afraid about what we don't know yet. We don't have to be afraid about what is to come. The second thing that we see here that parallels in these two stories is that once they hear from God, once they get the message, Ahaz through Isaiah, Joseph through the angel in his dream, once they hear the message from God, their present circumstances do not immediately change. They don't immediately change. The things that they were facing... Joseph, before he went to sleep, and Ahaz, before he was standing here at this aqueduct, before he, they're standing there, before they hear from God, the circumstances that they had are exactly the same as what they experienced. Joseph wakes up. Guess what? His fiance is still pregnant. There's still not a really great answer to give to the people that might try to throw this against her or throw this against him or bring the, the, the cultural, sociological, religious condemnation on them. So nothing has changed about that circumstance. For Ahaz, he still has an army ch- coming right at him, coming at his people. He's, he's been defeated by this army before, so he's still worried about that. There is no assurance to him that the army is not going to come his way. And in the immediacy of that moment, nothing has changed about their circumstances. And so I know like for, for you and I, when we, when we face things in life, or maybe we have a really great God moment. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything where you just felt like, man, I just, I just met with God. I prayed to God. I had a prayer answered. I, I was in a service. There was a powerful worship moment, a powerful altar moment. There's something that happened. And then like you, you get up from kneeling and you go sit back in your seat and you go get in your car and you go home and you get home. And guess what? 
There has not miraculously been $10,000 deposited into your checking account. The money's still low and the bills are still due, right? You show up to work and guess what? It may still be that the same things, same problems you had on the job still exist there on the job. Maybe it's some of the same situation. You have. So the, the immediate circumstances may not change in the moment. So then what can we lean on in that? What, what can we respond to it? How do we go in that? Let me, let me just give you a quick story, quick example. Some of you have heard this before. I was in college. I was pursuing a, a degree outside of ministry altogether. I was pursuing something so I could go to law school and be in law for a while and run for political office. Don't hold it against me. So that's my, that was my plan. I had a service that I was sitting in doing homework, not even paying attention to anything that was going on on the stage. And God just started quickening my heart, challenging me, kind of stirred my heart. I looked up towards the stage and the preacher that day opened the altars. And I, I've said this before, I don't mean it to be funny, especially in light of this story, but he could have asked for pregnant, unwed mothers to come to the altar. I don't know, but I just went. I was just like, I'm, I'm going. I don't know if it connects to my story, but I'm going, I got to pray. I got to get connected to God and respond to what it is. I feel like he's doing in my heart. And I went and I prayed and I prayed, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll say anything you want me to say. I'm reorienting my life around you. Got up, went back to the balcony, picked up my stuff, went to my apartment, went to class the next day, went to deliver pizzas at Papa John's that night. And continued that routine for about three days and thought, what in the world am I? Nothing about my present immediate circumstances changed other than my heart. Other than this connection to God that I had in that prayer moment. And so the third parallel that I want us to look at here and spend just a couple of minutes on are the things that you and I then have to choose to do. If you look at God's word delivered through the angel to Joseph, through Isaiah to Ahaz... They receive this assurance, right? They receive this incredible pronouncement of the story, the plan, the purpose of God. And then what happened? In Joseph's story, he responded, right? He did something. He, he took action. He believed in what the promise that was given to him was, that it was true. Even though his present circumstances were not changed. Ahaz did not believe. It, it didn't change his actions at all. Now, if you look at these two stories, you look at these two guys outside of these one, you know, passages of scripture for each of them. You see that Joseph was a God fearing, God believing man, full of faith. Right. Ahaz was used to believing in idols. He was used to worshiping idols. Pastor references about Ahaz. Second Chronicles talks about how wicked a man Ahaz was. His kingdom was just about it was ruled by his wickedness. It reflected his wickedness. He, he was an idol worshiper, so he wasn't used to, he wasn't in the, in the common practice of listening to, following after, and having faith in Jehovah God. And so this word from God comes to both of them about this incredible promise. And when it does, Joseph believed. We read in verse 24 and 25, but I want to read it again. This is what it says about Joseph's response when he wakes up. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And took Mary home as his wife. Now think about this. The present circumstances had not changed. She's still pregnant. People will believe it's his baby. They've done something unfaithful to the law. But he trusted. He believed what the word of God had come to him in the dream. He acted on his faith. He acted on. He took an active step on the things that didn't really match what his eyes saw, right? Ahaz receives this word from God, 
through the prophet Isaiah. His present circumstances haven't changed. And so he comes out of that. And because he sees the army is still advancing, even though he's been given this incredible promise by God, even further than what we read is that, you know, the, the armies are not going to be able to stand against you. They're, they're, they're smoking timbers. They're not going to, they're not as powerful as you think. He can't connect the dots between what he heard and what he sees. And so there's inaction there. He chooses to respond on what he sees and not on what he believes. Now, for you and I, we are confronted with this in so many different ways in our lives. I mean, faith is a huge part of what the Christian belief system, Christianity, is, right? Because we are now confronted with what we will do with our lives, the actions of our lives, and, and how we will respond in faith when it may not connect to the things that we see. Hebrews chapter 11 is a verse of Scripture. Uh, Hebrews 11, one, it's a verse of Scripture and a passage of Scripture that we really reference a lot when we look at what faith is when we're trying to define faith. This is what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I want to read that one more time. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I've got an uncle who's a pastor in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He's my mom's brother. His, his real name is Paul, but somehow along the way his name became Rusty. So we call him Rusty. I'm not really sure. I don't know how you get Rusty out of Paul, but we've got a weird family. So my uncle Rusty is a pastor. He's probably preaching right now to his congregation. And what he calls this action in the face of circumstances that don't meet that is he calls it faithing on. He references this a lot. He talks about it all the time. He says, you know, when I see things with my eyes that don't match what I, I believe, I'm going to choose to, to respond based on my belief and not what I see. And I'm going to faith on, I'm going to move on out of my faith in my faith, in response to my faith, in response to what I hope for, in response to maybe the certainty of what I do not see, but what I believe it's our faith. And it, it requires of us. And we talked about this a little bit last week. It requires of us to do something with what we say we believe. Because my personal opinion, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody in the room, so this is not me preaching at you, it's kind of preaching at us, okay? Is that we say we believe things. We say we've got this faith, but our actions don't really reflect that. Our actions more reflect this hybrid model of what's safe to do, taking into account both the circumstances we see and the things we say we believe. I ran across, across this quote yesterday on Twitter. This is from Pastor Andy Stanley, who's a pastor obviously here in the Atlanta area. I have no other source to this. He may be quoting something else, but this is what just showed up on my Twitter feed. And this is what he said. Perfect faith is not faith that moves God. Perfect faith is faith that moves us to trust God when he doesn't seem to be moving. Perfect faith is not faith that moves God. Perfect faith is faith that moves us to trust God when he doesn't seem to be moving. And trust and faith go hand in hand here. pastor's going to talk to us yeah, about that. The, these two incidences connected by this prophecy really, to me, reflect a, a microcosm of, of one of the main issues between God and humanity. And that, that's, that's trust, believing or not believing. And, and that's exactly what, what God says to us. Will you trust me? That's what he's saying to Ahaz and Joseph. Will you trust me? Trust is, is, is living in loving obedience to God. 
You see, I obey him because I love him. I love him because he first loved me when I didn't deserve it. And he's proven that in that he wants to be present with me, Emmanuel. So much so that he came as someone like me in the person of Jesus Christ. The the God-man that we see in the Joseph story. And that's what God always has been about. Being present with his people. And we see that all the way back to the beginning of time with the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. It says in Genesis that that God walked with them in the garden of the cool of the day. It's a beautiful picture of intimacy and closeness and relationship. Now, in that relationship, and the relationship He wants to have with us today, in that relationship, He reveals His plan and His purpose to us. In fact, let's sort of drop back to to the creation story and take a look at this in Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28. This is what it says. It says, so God created man in his own image, his likeness. It's, it's the idea of his glory. He created man in his own image, in his own glory. In the glory of God, image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. That's the purpose of God in our life, to reflect his glory out of us. Now, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's the plan of God. The plan of God is that we will populate and develop and cultivate and take care of what he has created in this earth so that he can reflect his glory out of us to manifest his glory in this earth. That is his purpose for us to reflect his glory into this earth. And he walks with us. In order to do that. And that's what the plan of God has been for humanity from the very beginning and for us today. So when we say Emmanuel, say Emmanuel. Emmanuel. When we say Emmanuel, this is what we're saying. We're saying God is present with us, with his plan, for his purpose. Say that with me. Read that with me out loud. God is present with us. With his plan for his purpose. That's what he's saying to Ahaz. That's what he was saying to Joseph. That's what he's saying back to Adam and Eve. God is present with us with his plan for his purpose. Now this all went sideways when we decided not to trust him. When we decided to not live in loving obedience with him and disobey him as Adam and Eve did. And we drop back to that part of the story because this is, this is where it all gets fractured. In Genesis chapter 3 we see where Adam and Eve have sinned against God. In verses 7 and 8, this is what it says. Now look at this closely. The eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. You know what? They did not see the glory of the Lord in them anymore. What they saw was their shameful nakedness. That purpose that God had for them had been fractured. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They've developed a new plan. That was not the plan of God for them. But now they've got a broken plan they're trying to work. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife, look at this, heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day, his presence with them. And look what it says. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When they would hear his presence with them, they used to run to him. Now, because they're in this broken place, they run from him. And that is the picture of us without God. Emmanuel means God with us. This is the picture of us without God. Us without God is the lost sense of the presence of God. With a broken plan and a frustrated purpose. That's us without God. Go to the next slide if you would please. Let's read that together. This is us without God. Read this out loud with me. Lost presence, broken plan, and frustrated purpose. That's the world we live in. 
You see, people without God, they're trying to fill up in their lives only what the presence of God can fill up. And they try to do it by making their own plans to accomplish their own purposes. And you know what? Humanity without God can accomplish a lot. They can. They can. And they can even do some good stuff. And that's just a reflection of how God, how good God made us. Even in our broken state, we're still pretty good because we can still do some good things without God. But you know what? Without God, our plans will always be broken. Our plans will never quite stay together. Our plans seem to always sort of unfold and, and, and fall apart. And our purposes are always frustrated. It just doesn't seem to give us what we thought it was going to give us. It just doesn't provide what we thought it was. We always feel a lacking and an emptiness in our own purposes without God. Because we're trying to do something that only the presence of God can do in our lives. And that's the broken, fallen world that we live in. And the beauty of this, and what God is doing with Ahaz in sending him a prophet, and what God is doing with Joseph is sending him an angel, is what he did with Adam and Eve back when they fell, and they're hiding from him. Because here's what God did. Look with me, or, or look on the screen. In Genesis 3, verse 9, this is after they have hidden, into the, hidden in the woods. Look what it says. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? We walked away from him, but he didn't walk away from us. He came to us and said, where are you? I'm here with my presence. He reasserted his presence to us. I'm here with my presence, with my plan, for my purpose. Will you trust me? That's what he said to Adam and Eve. I'm here again. I know you've messed it up, but I'm here with my presence with my plan for my purpose, will you trust me? That's what he did with Ahaz. Ahaz had messed it all up. It was Ahaz's mess. It was Adam and Eve's mess. God shows up through Isaiah. Ahaz, I'm here with my presence. What are you doing? Where are you? You're taking matters into your own hands. I'm here with my purpose and my plan. Will you trust me? That's what he did with Joseph. And Joseph was trying to do the right thing. Joseph wasn't trying to do evil before God. He was trying to do the right thing. He was really weighing out. He was trying to do a win-win situation to really protect Mary in this as well as to save face for himself. He's trying to do the right thing. But you know, sometimes the right thing isn't necessarily God's thing. I'm not saying he does wrong, but what I'm saying is that sometimes we're wanting to do what's right and God's saying, hey, that's a good thing, but I've got something even better than that or greater than that. And he came to Joseph and he said, Joseph, where are you? What are you doing? I'm here with my presence, with my plan, with my purpose. Will you trust me? And that's what he's saying to every one of us. Whatever our situation or circumstance or condition of life, he's saying, I'm here with my presence, with my plan, for my purpose. Will you trust me? Emmanuel. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's the great thing. This idea of Emmanuel, God with us, it's, this, this isn't some religious ideal. This isn't some philosophical concept. This isn't just some spiritual truth. Wonderful as it is, Emmanuel is a person. Emmanuel is Jesus Christ. That's what we saw in the Joseph story. That's what the angel was saying to Joseph. Hey, this Emmanuel, this fulfillment of this prophecy is Jesus. Ahaz, the one I'm telling you about, is the promised Messiah that's coming. All of this was about this Jesus, whose birth we celebrate. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
That's what God always offers. All the way back to Adam and Eve, he offered them a baby. He offered them a seed. Genesis 3 verse 15. This is after they have fallen. And God is now talking to the serpent who embodied Satan, evil. He's the one that led them astray. Verse 15, this is God speaking to this serpent. And I, God, will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Offspring, his offspring, her offspring. He, that he is singular. Talking about the offspring. We're talking about one particular offspring. Will crush your head, Satan, serpent. And you will strike his heel. This is the first prophetic look at this coming Messiah that God always had in plan. He's saying, hey, there's a baby, a man, a God-man that I'm going to bring. Ahaz, there's a baby, there's a God-man that I'm going to bring. Joseph, there's a baby. There's a God-man that I'm bringing through Mary. See, Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate embodiment of the presence and the plan and the purpose of God. And to walk in the presence and the plan and the purpose of God is to walk in Jesus Christ. He restores it all back to us. In fact, that's, we see this in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, the word, the word there, that's Jesus. It's talking about his pre-existence with God. That word can also be seed. The word, the seed we're talking about from Genesis became flesh and made his dwelling among us, present with us. We've seen his glory. That's the purpose that God wants to bring out. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ came bringing the grace and truth of God. And by his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he restores back to us God's purpose and plan and the presence of God. What we were designed for. And man, from Genesis to Revelation and today... Everything God offers to us, he says, it's in Jesus Christ. You have it in Adam and Eve. You have it in Ahaz. You have it in Joseph. Thousands of years apart, different people, different circumstances, different situations, different details. But God working every one of those individual things, he says, here's what I have to offer to you. And that is my presence and my plan and my purpose in Jesus Christ. Every one of us in this room, different people, different backgrounds, different situations, different circumstances, different details. But But God is working in every detail and he says, here's what you need. It's Jesus Christ, my son, my presence, my plan and my purpose is available to you in him. That's That's Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. This is the promise of Christmas. And I'm sorry, I've gone from preaching. I mean, teaching to preaching. I realize that. I think preaching is just faster and louder and there's more spit involved. But I think that's. Where I'm at. And I'm doing all of them. You're doing well. Here's the promise of Christmas to every one of us in this room. I'm not alone. For God is with me. Offering a far better plan to live in. And a far greater purpose to live for. I'm not alone. God is with me. Offering me a far greater plan to live in. And a far better purpose. To live for. That's the promise of Christmas. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the question of Christmas. Will I trust him? 
Will I trust him? When I don't feel his presence, will I trust him? Because I don't always, I don't always feel him. When I don't see his plan, will I trust him? I mean, how do I trust him when I don't see his plan? By holding to the promises and following the instructions of God. This is the foundation of his plan. This may not be the specifics of the plan that he's working in the circumstances and the situations of my present life. But this is the foundation of that plan. As long as I hold to the promises and walk in the instructions that he's given unto me, I will always be in his plan. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Will I trust him when I don't see his plan? And will I trust him, now listen close, when his purpose is not my purpose? Will I submit my purposes to his purpose? Joseph's purpose was to divorce Mary gracefully and save face and move on with his life. That was a fine, good purpose. It wasn't God's purpose. No, Joseph, I want you to take her as your wife. Now, that was going to make more things complicated for Joseph. Because the implication would be that he's the one that got her pregnant out of wedlock. It would bring shame on him. And the question I have to ask myself today, when my purposes don't align with his, will I trust him to submit my purpose to his purpose? I'm going to invite the band to come up quickly, please. My dad tells a story. Some of you that may not know who my father is, my, my father pastored Mount Perrin, the, all the different ministries for 37 years. Early in his ministry here in Atlanta, he was on uh, an on-call list of ministers in the area for several of the downtown hospitals that they needed a pastor. They'd have a chaplain available, need a pastor. They, they had a list that they would call. One particular late night, he got a call from Grady Hospital. And they said, we need you to come down here. we got a situation. We've got a lady who's oh, about six or seven-year-old son had been shot and killed in a gang type of related incident. He was just a bystander. It was a stray bullet. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. The bullet hit him, killed him. Said, we, we, we've got him. He's dead. And we've given his mother time to be with him, but we can't, we can't get her away from him. We've we got to process the body, and we can't. We can't get her away. And they specifically called my dad because he has a PhD in counseling psychology. And they said, you know, we thought maybe with your, with your psych, psychology background and, and expertise, maybe you can come and help us. So dad got dressed, went down there, walked into the room. And there sat the woman holding the hand of her, her dead child. And she's just looking at him. Well, let me just tell you, there's no amount of PhD work. There's no amount of even biblical work. That gives you the magic formula of words to say to anybody in that moment. So here's what my dad did. He didn't say a thing. He pulled up a chair and just sat down beside the woman. When the woman cried, he cried. When the woman groaned, he groaned. When the woman got angry and yelled, he would yell. When she whimpered, 
he would whimper. When she got quiet, he got quiet. And that went on for 30 or 40 minutes. And the lady stood up, bent down, and kissed her little boy on the forehead. Turned and walked out of the room. My dad followed her out. They got outside in the hall. The lady turned to my dad, took his hands, looked in my dad's eyes and said, Sir, thank you for just being present with me and feeling my pain. You know what? The answer, if we just have and know and trust the presence of God, I don't have to know all the details. I don't have to know how he's going to work it all out. All I know is Emmanuel stepped into this place and he has felt, not just felt, but taken my pain. And where there's pain, He'll bring healing. Where I've messed it up, He'll certainly clean it up. Where I've broken it, He can put it back together. That's Emmanuel. The question is, will I trust Him? Will I trust Him? I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes a moment. I know we've perhaps gone a little longer than normal. But I, I do, I do sense Him here. And I know that may sound very religious, very spiritual, but I do. I'm saying it from the honesty of my spirit and heart. And I think he wants to be present with several of us in this room. I really believe he wants to really just show up in some lives here very strongly. We're going to open up this front area for anybody that just wants to come down and have someone pray with them. To represent Emmanuel, to represent God with us for you. You may be in here and you're in very difficult circumstances and you just need a prayer. You need a sense of the presence of God. Maybe you're in here like Joseph and you know you're just trying to make a right decision. You're trying to do the right thing but you just need to really get clear insight from the Lord and you need prayer. Maybe maybe in a way you're like Ahaz. You're the one that sort of messed everything up and, and you just need to come and just really give your life back to Him or maybe just ask Him to do some some things of forgiveness in you. I don't know. But there's going to be some folks down here to pray with you. And I know it's a major step, but as, 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 as Jeremy was talking about, it would be a step of faithing on. It would be a, a step of really stepping out to say, okay, I'm putting my belief in action. Those of you that are going to help pray for people, I'm going to invite you quickly to step out and just come down real quick. Those that are going to be helping to pray. I'm going to say a quick prayer. This band's going to sing. You need prayer. You need prayer. I invite you to step out and come. Father, now in the next few moments, we invite your presence that's already with us to move in a very real way. Touch lives, God. Touch lives. Touch the brokenness. We need your presence right now. In Jesus' name, you want prayer. I invite you to step out. Nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be embarrassed about. But these folks are here to pray with you as the sings you come trust you Jesus trust you Jesus trust you in my
that be. Every person's choice right now. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our lack of faith. Help us in our mistrust, God. For all those that have come forward and been prayed for, Father, we as a body who call you Lord and Savior, we believe for them right now. We believe you have spoken in a real way. We believe you have done a work in them. Even though, as Pastor Jeremy talked about, the circumstances may not change right away. Just knowing that you're with us going through the circumstances, Father, that's all we really need to know. That's all we really need to know. Father, today I pray that all of us, wherever we are in this walk with you, know the promise of Christmas. You are with us with your plan for your purpose. May we truly trust you in loving obedience. For your praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can you give God praise for his presence with us right now? God bless you. Merry Christmas.